parenting. It's the hardest job we'll ever do. Most of us are tired, stressed, and counting the minutes until bedtime. But what if raising kids could feel just a little lighter? I'm Dr. Hillary, a licensed psychologist and mama of three, and you're listening to the Raised Resilient Podcast, where each week we tackle tough parenting topics, and I help decode behavior and empower you with tools and strategies so that even the hardest moments make more sense. Because parenting is hard, no matter how you do it. But I can help you go from barely surviving to parenting in a way that feels good for you and your child. So warm up your coffee and grab your earbuds. It's time to raise resilient kids. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Hillary, and thanks for joining me. I'm so glad you're here. In today's episode, we're going to talk about parenting triggers and specifically, why is our kids no? so triggering for us as parents. Why do we feel so activated when our kids push back on our limits, when they test our boundaries, when they dig their heels in and say, I'm not doing it and you can't make me. I don't want to. I'm not going to. These moments are so tough for us as parents. I think universally, these are hard moments for us. And we've talked a lot about how to handle these moments with our kids. I have an episode on setting boundaries. I have an episode on getting kids to listen. I have an episode on shepherding through, which is how we can help our kids when they're really stuck, like when it's time for bed and they are refusing to come upstairs and get ready for bed, or when it's time to get in the car for school and they just won't. So that episode is going to be really helpful if you haven't listened to that one already. But today I want to go deeper. Today I want to talk about why these moments are so activating for us as parents so that we can start to understand what's happening in those moments and start to separate the parts that have to do with our kids and the parts that are about their behaviors that communicate their needs and the missing skills that they've got to work on. And then which parts are about us, which parts are about us feeling maybe more activated and triggered than the situation warrants. So let's start by talking about what actually even is a trigger? We use this word all the time. We talk about being triggered in pop culture now, which is great because as therapists and mental health professionals, we've been talking about triggers for a really long time. But I think now people are starting to understand that sometimes something's happening for a person internally that doesn't necessarily come from or match the circumstances around them that they seem to be reacting to. So A trigger is essentially something that activates your nervous system. And that nervous system activation creates feelings of unsafety in your body. And these feelings are not necessarily related to what's happening in the moment. They're related to a previous trauma, maybe a traumatic relationship pattern. So sometimes if we had an unhealthy relationship with our own parents, or with a previous partner, we learn certain ways of interacting that are not healthy. And then in new, healthier relationships, we tend to expect those same unhealthy patterns to show up. And that often is what is happening to us when we're triggered by our kids. But a trigger can be anything, any activation you experience that's related to a past trauma. Because when we go through a trauma, particularly when we live through a traumatic or unhealthy relational pattern, As a psychologist, I would call this developmental trauma. These are the kinds of unhealthy, traumatic relationship patterns we learn when we don't get our needs met in childhood, when the relationships we had with our caregivers were lacking. And I just want to say here that I know 
for some of us, the word trauma, especially as it relates to our childhood, can feel heavy and maybe a little bit misplaced if, say, we didn't experience any overt abuse. We had a childhood that seemed fine, and we're fine as adults. And so the word trauma might not fit for you. Here's the thing. The word trauma and what trauma means really is in the eye of the beholder. It's anything that overwhelms our brain's capacity to make sense of it in the moment. And as a child, kind of by definition, kids need their caregivers to help them make sense of the world around them. And so if your needs didn't get met in childhood, if you had a need to push back on your parents to get an emotional release in the presence of a safe caregiver, if you had a need to express yourself fully without feeling like you had to shut parts of yourself down and those needs didn't get met, the way that you would make sense of that would be that it was your fault, that it was your problem, and that you just needed to shift how you were showing up in the world. So that might not feel traumatic. And a lot of the work I do in therapy with my clients is to help them understand that not getting their needs met in childhood is a sort of trauma because it literally changes the way your brain is wired. Your brain starts to be wired in this way that you're always looking to yourself as the problem. Because again, if you don't have a caregiver helping you make sense of this differently, then you make sense of it as it being about you and your shortcomings. And so I just wanted to put that in there because I know for some of you listening, you're going to hear that and go, well, my childhood wasn't traumatic. And you know what? It may not have been something you consider to be traumatic, but even when our parents are doing their very best, there are times that they're not going to meet our needs. And even as we listen to this podcast and we try so hard to meet our kids' needs, I say all the time, we're not going to do it perfectly. And the attachment research really says we don't have to. We have to get it right. We have to meet our kids' needs well about 30% of the time in order for our kids to be securely attached. The problem really comes when those needs are just not getting met at all. And so if you're parenting with a style, with an approach that says that your child really does have to shut down the part of them that needs to push back sometimes, that they have to change and adapt to just be agreeable all the time, Over time, when that need never gets met, it does change that child's brain and that child's way of showing up in the world. So a trigger is our reaction in the present moment to a trauma that's happened in the past. These experiences color how we see the world. So it's almost like you took a pair of glasses that are tinted blue and you put on those glasses and everything around you suddenly looks blue. But it's not actually blue. It's just that this tint on your glasses is making it seem that way. And the thing about triggers is that they're often unconscious, meaning we don't realize we've put those glasses on. And so we're just looking at the world and we believe that actually everything suddenly is blue. Circle of Security Parenting has what I think of as an even better analogy for understanding our triggers and particularly in parenting. In the Circle of Security Parenting program, they show a video clip of a beach. And during one viewing of this little video clip, they play serene, peaceful music. And you can imagine yourself just chilling on the beach. And then they play that same exact video clip a second time. But this time, instead of playing calm, serene music, they play the music from Jaws. You know what I mean, right? Same video clip. But in that moment, you're watching this video and going, oh my goodness, something bad's going to happen. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but something is not right on this beach. They call this concept shark music. 
So when we are triggered, when we are putting on those glasses that color things differently for us, when we are hearing shark music, so to speak, right? Instead of hearing the calm, serene, peaceful, safe music, we are seeing the world differently in that moment. So your child is telling you no. And instead of hearing serene, peaceful music and your body feeling safe and like, you know what? My child is allowed to tell me no. And recognizing in that moment that this is a healthy developmental push. Maybe this is a need for an emotional release. I've got this. This doesn't mean I've got a bad kid. This doesn't mean I'm a bad parent. This is normal stuff and I can handle it. Instead of recognizing that moment for what it is, we are triggered, right? We are hearing this shark music that makes our entire body tense up and feel unsafe and expect something bad to happen. We don't even really know what it is, but based on our nervous system activation, we are sure that something bad is going to happen, that we are unsafe in this moment. And this is not necessarily a conscious process, but our body feels activated and unsafe and we react to that especially if we're not aware of what's happening. This is where we can start to hear unhelpful parenting narratives. And because we are activated and because we are triggered, we start to believe them as true. I'm a bad parent. If I were a better parent, she wouldn't be talking to me like this. I have a bad kid. If I had a better kid, he wouldn't be saying these things to me. He wouldn't be pushing back. He'd be doing what I'm asking. Kids are supposed to do what we ask them to do. Well, actually, no, they're not. It's actually really healthy and normal and okay for your child to tell you no. And we're going to talk about what it means, like the flip side of that, if we don't let our kids tell us no. And we're going to talk about that through the lens of our own childhood experiences, because guess who didn't get to tell their parents no? Raise your hand if you were a kid who didn't get to say no to your parents, who kind of had to fall in line and do what you were told. I would imagine that that's true for most of us. So I'm going to use the word we from here on out. If that wasn't your experience, if you happen to be raised in a home with gentle parenting where you were allowed to push back in a healthy way and your parents held those boundaries and let you fall apart if you needed to, that's amazing. I think for most of us, and I generalize from how we understood kids at the time when we were kids, I generalize from the research around attachment that was still developing when we were kids and certainly wasn't widespread and available like it is now. Most of us were born before the internet was super accessible like it is right now, and information wasn't super accessible. And so I'm generalizing based on all of that. And then, of course, my experience as a therapist and the stories I hear over and over and over from my clients about how they were raised and what it was like for them as kids. And of course, my own experience and the experience of my peers as we were raised, most of us, in a world where we were not allowed to tell our parents, no, we were expected to do as we were told. And that wasn't because our parents didn't want us to get our needs met. That again, this comes back to when we know better, we do better. They did what they thought was best. And at that time, it was expected that kids don't say no to their parents. It was expected that kids would do as they were told. And if your kid wasn't doing as they were told, then they were a bad kid. They needed to be punished in order to correct that bad behavior. That was the understanding at the time. But here's the thing. Even though we grew up during a time when kids were expected to fall in line, do as told, and not push back, we still had those same needs that our kids have now. We still had the need to push back on our parents' limits sometimes. 
we still had the need to sometimes express how we felt about something, even if ultimately we still ended up doing the thing. We still had the need to refuse to do what we were being asked to do because we needed an emotional release and we didn't know how else to get it. We needed our parents to hold the boundary with love and let us fall apart a little bit in their safe presence, to let a little bit of water out of that emotional pitcher. We still needed those things. And because we grew up during a time when the way that people understood kids led them to shut down any kind of pushback or resistance from a child, we just didn't get those needs met. So we still had the needs and they went unmet. And what most of us did was we figured out how to please our parents because kids are wired to be in their parents' good graces. Kids want and need their parents' love and delight. And so for most of us, the way we made sense of and adapted to our needs not getting met was that we figured out, okay, when I push back on my mom, she gets really mad and I get punished. And I don't want to feel like that. I need to feel her love. So I am going to stop pushing back. I'm going to shove that down. I'm going to take that part of myself and make it really small so that it doesn't get me in trouble. And so we learned to stop saying no, to stuff that down, to stuff those feelings and those needs down. We learned to not have an emotional release. We would hold it together until we would explode, or we would hold it together and then internalize those emotions. And they would manifest in other ways, right? Like constant anxiety or academic difficulties, panic attacks, eating disorders, all kinds of ways that these feelings would find their way out of us in a less than healthy manifestation. Many of us learned to be people pleasers. We learned that we needed to make sure that everyone around us was comfortable, sometimes at our own expense. Or maybe we learned that our worth comes from saying yes and making other people happy and comfortable instead of speaking our truth. Maybe some of us as adults are actually still working on that. If that's you, you are so not alone. I would actually say that I myself am a recovering people pleaser, meaning that I am becoming aware of my tendency to say yes, even when I really actually want to say no. And I'm working on that. I'm trying really hard to only say yes to things that actually light me up and that I have the capacity and resources and space emotionally to take on. Most of my life, I would say yes, because I was wired to people please. And I know a lot of us are in that same boat. So that part of you, that you made really small, that part of you that needed to protest, that needed to push back, that needed to resist your parents sometimes. You made that part small. And now when you're parenting your own kids and your own child tells you, no, I'm not doing that. I refuse. You can't make me. That little part of you is small, but it is still there. And that little part of you is screaming at you, waving its arms around going, Shut this down right now. This is not safe. This is going to get us in trouble. This is going to lose us love. Make it stop. And so your child is saying no, but alarm bells are going off. Shark music is playing for you. And so what do we do in those moments? We want to get the control back. We've got to make that stop. We've got to get this resistance from our child and shut it down. It's not safe. Well, actually it is safe. It's totally safe, but our bodies don't believe that. And so what do we do? We react with maybe angry tones, 
Maybe we react with punishments, even if that's not how we want to parent. This might be when you find yourself going, all right, fine. You know what? You don't do this. You don't get dessert tonight. And then you go, I didn't want to say that. I don't want to punish. What am I doing? If that's you, this is such a normal response to having had that part of yourself that needed to push back sometimes, shut down. And again, that was adaptive for you when you were a child. That was how you stayed in your parents' good graces and got your needs for love and delight met. So of course you did that. It makes so much sense. But now it's not serving us as we try to parent our kids in a way that allows them to show up as full human beings who have the ability to tell us, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. I'm not doing that. And of course, our job in those moments is to hold the boundary. I hear you. You really don't want to do that. I get that. You can tell me all about it. And the expectation is that we're going to do this thing when you feel ready. We want our kids to feel heard and safe and able to have an emotional release if they need to by us holding that boundary with love and empathy. Another place that this really comes up for us, this need to shut our kids down because they are making us feel unsafe, they are making us hear shark music, is around disrespect. So often, our kids say something that feels disrespectful. And it's not just that we are hurt by what they said. It might be partly that, right? Your kid says, I hate you. That's a hard thing to hear. But it's not just that. It is also this feeling that if you don't shut that down, what does it mean about you as a parent? And if you had said that to your parents, you would have felt like you lost their love. And that might not have actually been true. Your parents might not have actually stopped loving you, but it is very hard, I would argue maybe even impossible for a child to feel a parent's love in the moment when a parent is coming down on them, punishing them, and shutting them down. Of course, when we get into that place, we can repair with our kids. So if you do find yourself getting to that place, that's okay. But for us, when we were kids, if we had said to our parents, I hate you or go away, we probably would have been punished. We would have been shut down and we wouldn't have felt our parents' love in that moment. And so when our kids say these things to us, we start to feel unsafe because saying those things to our parents would have lost us love. And we feel those same feelings of shut it down, get this under control, lock it up so that we can stay loved. Now, obviously, When you're in the moment with your child and your child is saying, I hate you, you are not in danger of losing anyone's love, including that from your child. But your whole body is reacting to how you felt as a child when you wanted and needed to say those things and you couldn't. And so that leaves us in a really difficult spot as parents. It leaves us in a place of feeling reactive, When we know intellectually and outside of those moments when we're not triggered, we know how we want to parent and we find ourselves struggling to pull it off in the moment when we are triggered. If you've ever thought to yourself, I would have never gotten away with that when I was a child, that's where that comes from. It comes from this sense of, I would have never gotten away with that because if I had tried that, I would have lost my parents' love. I would have been punished. And in that moment, you would have felt like a bad kid. That's what punishments do. So what do we do with this now that we understand that we do get triggered and that feeling of being triggered comes from our past and not from our kids? 
there's actually no real sharks in the room when your child is telling you no, when your child is saying, I hate you. Here's the thing. Understanding this is truly half the battle. Understanding and having this awareness that this is happening for you in these hard parenting moments is going to get you really far. So a lot of the attachment research focused on how when we simply reflect on how we're parenting. So after the moment, right? Let's say you yell at your child. Let's say you threaten with a punishment and you don't want to parent like that and you feel bad about it but your kid told you no, you got triggered and you punished. So after that, instead of sweeping it under the rug or not thinking about it or beating yourself up repeatedly and just getting stuck in this pattern of self-hatred and self-blame, if you can just reflect on what happened, right? So that might look like, okay, so he told me no when I asked him to take the trash out and that felt really bad. I felt really unsafe in that moment. I got really reactive. What was that about for me? Oh, I wonder if this is because I was triggered in that moment and I was reacting to something that wasn't happening in the moment with me and my child, but actually maybe something that happened to me a long time ago. Maybe I wasn't allowed to push back. That's why this is hard for me. And maybe your truth and the dots that you connect are a little bit different than how I'm describing this. Again, I am making a generalization and kind of describing one way that these triggers can manifest. But I think this particular pattern that I'm describing happens for a lot of us. And so that's why I figured it was a helpful one to illustrate. But maybe your triggers look a little bit different in parenting. I know for a lot of people, myself included, mess is a trigger. For a lot of us, we weren't allowed to make a mess as a child. Or we learned that having things just so was a way to feel like we had control when other things felt out of control. And so we see our kids making a mess and that makes us feel really unsafe inside. So mess is another really common parenting trigger. And I'm going to talk a lot about mess and kids cleaning up and what should we really expect of our kids versus what is our own triggers getting in the way. We'll do a whole episode on that. But today I just want to focus on parenting triggers. And so when you start to recognize that you are triggered, where you look back on a moment and you go, oh, I think I was really triggered there. Start to ask yourself, I wonder what that was about. Get curious with yourself, just like I ask you to do with your kids. Because that alone, even if you don't totally figure out the A to Z path of how that trigger came to be, even if you just recognize like, oh, it's really triggering for me when my kid tells me no, or oh, wow, I get really triggered around mess. That is enough. The knowledge there is enough to start to recognize and go, oh, I'm hearing shark music right now, or I've got on these blue tinted glasses. I'm not seeing things clearly because once we understand that we're triggered, then we have the ability to make a choice and respond instead of react. And it won't happen overnight and it won't happen perfectly. None of this is going to happen perfectly. But once we can start to see it more clearly, we can actually empower ourselves to do something differently. And I think part of it too comes from making the mindset shift into knowing that it is actually really healthy for our kids to say no. And it's okay for our kids to say things in anger sometimes. They are still learning. A kid who says, I hate you is not a bad kid. The behavior there is communication. And that mindset shift is so, so incredibly important because we can't start to see our triggers if we don't recognize them as triggers. If we think the situation with our kids is actually unsafe. If we think there are metaphorical sharks in the room when our kids are telling us no, 
we think the kid is the problem, we think the kid's behavior is the problem, then we're not going to start to recognize our triggers. We're just going to think we have a kid who's doing something they shouldn't. So toward that end, I have an amazing free resource for you if you are looking to start to shift your perspective so that you can recognize your own triggers in parenting. It's called Six Mindset Shifts to Ditch the Overwhelm and Parent in a Way that Feels Good. And these six mindset shifts will be the foundation of you being able to see these moments more clearly. You can get your copy totally free at raisedresilient.com forward slash mindset. Go grab your copy today. And after you listen to this episode, read through it, ask yourself, have I really made these mindset shifts or are these things that I need to commit to, to actually stretch myself, to start to shift my perspective? Because once you do that, then you have the ability to see clearly what is a trigger. And that is the first step. Once you can recognize that, then you can become more aware of how you're showing up for your kid in the moment. You can make a choice. Okay, I hear that shark music. I feel this trigger. I see that I'm seeing things not so clearly right now. Let me take a break. Let me take a deep breath. Let me take a moment and pause and think about what's really going on here instead of just giving into my knee-jerk triggered reaction. So there's a challenge for this week. Go download your copy of Six Mindset Shifts to Ditch the Overwhelm and Parent in a Way That Feels Good if you haven't already. And if you've already downloaded it, grab your copy and read through it and start to ask yourself, where am I getting triggered in my parenting? Where am I feeling unsafe? Even though it's not really actually unsafe. That is the first step to shifting things in those hard moments so that you can show up in a way that feels good for you and your child. So I hope that's helpful. This is just scratching the surface of the process that we go through as parents to start to work with these triggers. Therapy is a wonderful place to do this work. If you haven't tried that for yourself, you can also journal and reflect on your own. But this is so, so, so important. The reflecting on how we're showing up is the first step to really being able to change it. I hope this was helpful. And until next week where we're going to talk about sharing and why I don't force my kids to share and why actually there are some times that kids shouldn't have to share at all. Until next time, we've got this. Thank you so much for listening. I so appreciate you listening and being here. It really means the world to me. And if you are enjoying this podcast, leave a review and share with someone who could use this message. I really and truly believe that this is how we change the world. We spread the word about raising resilient kids, about being cycle breakers. So share this podcast, leave a review, and let's spread the word about raising resilient kids. Until next time, we've got this.